Tuesday, June 26th. Welcome to Market Foolery. I'm Chris Hill. Joining me in studio today from Million Dollar Portfolio, Charlie Travers, from Motley Fool Special Ops, Mike Olson, and from Motley Fool Inside Value, Joe Maker. Gentlemen, good to see you. Hello. We got a packed house today. We're going to talk natural gas, pharmaceuticals, and online travel. But we're going to start with Big Red. Coca-Cola is planning to invest a total of $5 billion in India over the next eight years. The company had previously said it was going to invest $2 billion between 2010 and 2020. So, Joe Mager, son of Atlanta. Mm-hmm. Uh, why Everything wh- Coke does is right. <laughs> why... Why the huge bet? Why the doubling down? Well, this is another great example and a long string of them where Coke gets into emerging markets early, invests heavily in building out distribution, establishing brands, and setting itself up to be the leader in that market going forward. And you know, right now, the Indian market's very wide open, relatively speaking. Coke has about 25% share. PepsiCo has 20 uh, That's relatively hotly contested compared to the dominance Coke has in other markets. I think it's good timing when you look at how the Indian economy is really struggling. Um, in that sense, it's a good time for them to get in there and start you know, building those brands, building distribution, and connecting with consumers now to take advantage of you know, an eventual recovery. Mike? Strategically, I think this is a very smart move. When you look at per capita consumption of beverages or whatever you will in emerging markets, and particularly India, it's much smaller than any other market that they're in. But there is a caveat to that, which is I'm reminded of a quote, which is India, where Everything is allowed and nothing is possible. India is a notoriously corrupt economy. It is virtually impossible to get anything done. And so, accordingly, I think Coke shareholders need to be mindful of the fact that this is a very long term decision. There are not going to be immediate payoffs. And I mean, look, Coke has plenty of experience bribing emerging markets. Well, that's, I mean, this is a a Walmex. This is why they upped it from $2 to $5 billion payola. India has, for a long time, and Joe, you you sort of got into the market share there, but in, India was really the bright spot uh, internationally for India, uh, for, for Pepsi. For, yeah. um, if you're Pepsi and you're seeing this news, um, it kind of seems like your last best hope is going out the window. Yeah, it really hurts if you're PepsiCo, and this is Coke kicking them while they're down because you know PepsiCo is trying to redefine itself, recapture share in the North American market, and it's kind of losing sight of some of these emerging economies. And then Coke just steps out and more than doubles its spending. And you know Coke plays for keeps, and they play really aggressively. And this is just another you know step in that sequence. And you know, if you're a shareholder, this is exactly the kind of you know vision you like to see from companies. Sure. To be fair, Pepsi's not some third-rate also-ran. They are a yeah. very capable <laughs> worldwide company in their own right. I mean, yeah. they're not Coke, but this is a uh, very legit, highly profitable business. Uh, they have a good snacks division, uh, so they're doing well. I don't think it's fair to beat up on Pepsi. Um, so what I mean, this is clearly at some level, this is Coca-Cola taking a shot at Pepsi with this huge doubling down that they're doing in India. I'll put it to you, Charlie. What do you think is Pepsi's best shot back at Coca-Cola, whether it's in India or anywhere in the world? I've always liked uh, the combination of the snacks business that Pepsi has uh, that Coca-Cola doesn't match. I think that's just a nice angle they bring to the table. Right. I think there's there's a very specific advantage in that. When you think about distribution, your ability to acquire shelf space and whatever leverage you have over retailers, when you bring such a wide basket of products to market, there are 
pretty substantial cost savings, and you bring some leverage to retailers. So this this that's, this definitely doesn't have to be a winner take all. I don't know. I I mean, I get that conceptually, and I think that's probably the pitch on the PepsiCo investor relations slide deck from five years ago. But when you look at <laughs> how it's no actually, practical element to that. <laughs> well, when you look at how things have actually played out, they haven't really taken advantage of that. Frito Lay is kicking butt and taking names, but Pepsi, like the Pepsi side of the business, has just been owned by Coke. When do you think this is going to pay off? If it's not anytime soon, when should Coca-Cola shareholders expect this uh, to start to pay some dividends? Over a period of decades. Yeah. I mean, it's a real long-term investment, but a good right. one. So not so much me, but maybe my grandkids will you know, benefit from this. Yeah, <laughs> right. I think, I think one your Indian grandchildren. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I think one thing to be mindful here is that, that, that we will have better opportunities to invest in this. The market may or may not like this right now, but they're going to inevitably have stumbles here. Shares of Chesapeake Energy fell on Monday after Reuters reported that top executives at Chesapeake colluded with rival Encana. According to the report, Chesapeake and Encana avoided bidding against each other in Michigan to suppress land prices. The state of Michigan is reviewing the allegations. Uh, Mike Olson, uh, I don't want to besmirch Reuters. Uh, They do great work over there. That said, these are allegations. What do we make of them? Right. Well, I've spoken with a few lawyerly friends of mine, and whether or not it's antitrust, that's an incredibly difficult thing to prove. That being said, I mean, it looks incredibly ugly, and whether or not it is actually the case doesn't matter. There are two things that we're looking at right here. The first, and this is good news for Chesapeake shareholders, of which I am one, is that the McClendon Big Top may finally be leaving town. This, I mean, of all the things we have seen, this is perhaps the most damning. Um, Worse than the secret hedge fund? Worse. This is, <laughs> I mean, this is on par with the secret hedge fund, but this crosses the line from conflict of interest, which was highly, highly, highly questionable, to something which could be outright illegal. Um, And so I'm pretty happy about that because I've been saying this for years now. Chesapeake's primary problem is not its assets. It is a credibility problem. And removing one Aubrey McClendon and putting an executive who just has an excellent pedigree, a real return on capital focus, can do excellent things for the shares. You need to bring transparency. The bad news is that whether or not antitrust allegations are proven doesn't really matter. I think civil litigants can probably pursue some form of reparations if it is proven that they were, uh, if it can be proven that they were paid well below market value for their leases. And to the extent this practice is profligate, Chesapeake could have yet another unknown and large financial liability because they may be forced to make hold on these leases. Um. Joe, I mentioned Chesapeake's shares were down yesterday, and Kana's shares were down about the same. Um, we talk about Chesapeake all the time. What's the management like at Encana? Um, I mean, is this is this a company that you know that is maybe, if not as strong as Chesapeake with respect to its assets, um, maybe a, a strong third player, and they just don't have the liability that is Aubrey McClendon at the top? Yeah, they're a strong independent outfit that's pretty well-respected and a major player. And I'm going to go on a limb and just blanketly say their management team is not as suspicious as Chesapeake's <laughs> until I hear about some sort of shady hedge funds coming out. Um, is either one of these stocks more attractive to you guys as a result of this? Obviously, they're they're down this week so far. Um, what do you think, Mike? I know you're a Chesapeake shareholder, but if you're pitting Encana and Chesapeake, two strong players in natural gas, 
both down and both with this particular cloud over them. Which one do you like? You know, I think there's kind of a there's a bit of gray area here, which is that it's going to depend on how you think about this investment. I own Chesapeake in the context of a portfolio. I understand that there is a bit of a lottery ticket element to it on account of the lack of transparency from McClendon. I think the assets are excellent. I think it's meaningfully undervalued, but there is a lot of risk there. If you want to own something which gives you leverage to natural gas, has good assets, and you know, is a well-run company, and Kana is perhaps a more conservative way to play this bet. So it's really it's it's a matter of perspective and what your risk tolerance is. Joe, what about you? Yeah, I agree. And to Mike's point earlier, I think Chesapeake could be really interesting if they cut Aubrey and put someone in there with, as Mike said, a focus on returns on capital, or if nothing else, some experience on divesting assets, which Chesapeake needs to do, and just you know, handling a hairy situation. Transparency too. I mean. Yeah. If the news comes out later this year that for whatever reason, whether he is fired or he is stepping down, that Aubrey McClendon is no longer the CEO, is it a mortal lock that the stock is going to go up on that news? Yeah. 20% up there. (laughs) Tiva Pharmaceuticals' biggest brand name product is Capaxone, a treatment for MS. Tiva had sued four other drug companies, accusing them of infringing on Capaxone's patents, and a federal court has ruled in Tiva's favor. So, Charlie, yesterday, shares of Tiva up about 6%, and not surprisingly, Mylan Labs, Natco, Sandoz, all down. Momenta Pharmaceuticals is the fourth one. That's a stock you know well, down 20% yesterday. That, that's a hiccup in small biotech land. So, really? Yeah, yeah. Usually the bad stuff is 50%, 60% or more. So this is just a, a little speed bump in the road. Uh, but it, it is a big negative. Uh, Momenta was developing its own generic version of Copaxone along with Sandoz. In a partnership, Sandoz is the generic subsidiary of Novartis. And so they filed to get their Copaxone approved with the FDA. Uh, so that's a requirement for generic drugs to actually launch. And Teva was essentially saying, we don't want you to launch before our U.S. patents expire, which uh, come due in 2015. Uh, so they sued to prevent that from happening. And so uh, the court ruled in their favor. Uh, so even if Momenta and Sandoz get FDA approval, uh, they can't launch until uh, 2015. So they're basically locked out of the market for three years because of this decision, but it's not permanent. Uh, odds are they are going to get their generic out on the market eventually. I want to go back to something that Mike had said when he was talking about the perspective an investor needs to have when owning any stock. Is it fair to say that when you know, you're looking at a biotech stock, you absolutely have to have a stronger-than-average stomach? Or is it, or is it really just come down to the size of the pharmaceutical company? Because when you say things like, well, it was only down 20%, usually you know, that, you know, that's just a hiccup. Usually you're looking at 50 That sounds like, for a lot of people, that would just kill them to see a stock go down 20% in one day. Right. And I would say the first thing is don't put any money into these kind of small biotechs you can't afford to lose and keep the position size very small so you're not losing sleep over it uh, if anything bad happens. Because when you get a company like this that's reliant on one or two products and you have regulatory risk and legal risk, uh, you know, bad stuff can happen. Uh, so, you know, keep it small. What is something to look for in a biotech company? Is it to look, are, are we looking at management? Are we looking at 
the types of disease they are trying to develop treatments for? What, what should people look for? Uh, all of the above, Chris. And one reason I like Momenta is that they have industry-leading technology in the creation of generic drugs uh, of complicated products out of the biotech industry. So this is a long-term trend that's going to be favorable for them. Uh, it's definitely a setback here, but the future looks bright because of the technology they have. Orbitz has found that people who use Mac computers spend as much as 30% more a night on hotels. Orbitz executives confirmed that the company is experimenting with showing different offers to Mac users and PC users. Uh, They're not showing the same room to different users at different prices, um, but Mac users are 40% more likely to book a four- or five-star hotel. Mike, what what do you make of this? This seems like... While on the one hand, maybe a little shady, it also seems like it's a pretty smart business move by Orbitz. I mean, well, first of all, it confirms that Apple users are hipper than Windows users. (laughs) Uh, (laughs) But outside of that, I mean, I think, you know, welcome to the age of big data where your PC knows more about you than your wife. This This is kind of a continuing string in the evolution of online advertising, use of data, and effectively targeting customers. And it's just absolutely fascinating. Um, it also speaks to the opportunity that a company which has reams of big data can use. And so, you know, whether you're Google, whether you are Expedia, whether you're Orbitz, there are new and interesting ways to use this. One thing I'll say, there's kind of a non-consensus investment idea around this or the theme, which is Oracle. Uh, They've been roundly maligned for not investing in cloud-based or big data type applications. Um, but they are investing. They have huge cash hoard. They have a worthy capital allocator at the helm. And they also have a captive customer base and a huge sales force within which to sell. And, you know, the stock itself is priced as if they won't capture any of that market opportunity. I love that you turned this into an Oracle pitch. I think, <laughs> yeah. well, I mean, you. <laughs> Smooth. Yeah. Um, Joe, for the record, Priceline, Expedia, Travelocity, they have all said that they don't use a person's PC. Uh, to guide the, the the suggestions that they make, I'm sure they have yet, a, yet or and and I'm sure they have you know to Mike's point, I'm sure they have other ways that they are um, mining data from people. But what do you make of this story? I think it's a smart move by Orbitz. The stupid part was letting people know that they were doing it. Yeah, I mean, totally. <laughs> it's a agree. great yeah, it's a great use of data and companies segment customers all the time, all the time. Charlie, I want to just start clicking ads for dollar stores and like you know, cheapo cars, just so maybe I can get better deals than everybody else. You can stay in a meth lab hotel right. when you go to Miami. <laughs> uh, when you look at these stocks, uh, Expedia, Priceline, Orbitz, um, is there one that leaps out at you? Is there one that interests you more than the others? Or is this sort of a business that you, you just kind of stay away from? Joe? Generally not my cup of tea, but Priceline would probably be my favorite out of the group. It's been growing like gangbusters. Uh, Great early play in Europe on the hotel market there, doing incredibly well and not priced for great expectations. Right. I think, yeah, I mean, I'll also go with Priceline. I think one thing they did incredibly well with the Bookings.com, that's the Europe business, is they recognized a fragmented European hotel market where there is some benefit to having that network based that network effect where you connect users and hotels that is not so much and that is not so much a phenomenon in the US or other more developed travel markets and so you want to be going to those ones where you have mom and pop hotels 
I'll, I'll deviate from these guys a bit. I like TripAdvisor. I think their review mm. system is top-notch and yeah. we leaned on it heavily when we've traveled abroad. I did that yeah. Yeah, earlier this year as well in going to Puerto Rico. TripAdvisor, I, f- I found it to be very helpful yeah. in terms of hotel selection and, and, and just as, things to yeah, do. As a general yeah. Yeah, Our honeymoon was like entirely planned based on TripAdvisor. I use bookings.com a lot. Another one which is interesting if we wanted to play on this theme is C-Trip. Again, you have a very mm. fragmented travel market. Um, there is, of course, a great amount of China risk, but with that comes an enormous amount of growth potential. As it would, as Chinese companies go, these guys are one of the more transparent and well well run are operations. You saying good things about a Chinese like mid cap? I don't cheap. even know who you are. It's cheap. I I mean, <laughs> there's a price for everything. Uh, just to wrap up with the travel theme, country you have not yet been to that is on your hit list before you. Italy, great food, great wine, great history. Mike, uh, Morocco or Vietnam. Charlie? Uh, Tokyo is on our docket. All right. Let's get on that. Let's make that happen in the next 12 months, all three of you. Please. Charlie Travers, Mike Olson, Joe Mager. Guys, thanks for being here. Thank you. Thank you. As always, people on the program may have interest in the stocks they talk about, and The Motley Fool may have formal recommendations for or against, so don't buy or sell stocks based solely on what you hear. That's it for this edition of Market Foolery. Our producer is Matt Greer. I'm Chris Hill. Thanks for listening. We'll see you tomorrow. (laughs) 